the, why the five C's? Uh, I read this great, 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 great quote this week from um, one of my favorite pastors. This is a guy that it's just sort of, he's like one of, the, one of those voices that kind of pops in here and there. He was at a boot camp I went to for had to, had to plant a church, and, and then he popped in a few years ago at a pastor's conference. And every time I hear him, I'm, I fe- it feels like God's sending me a little honey, a little sweetness. And, and I just, Google popped up this article from him today. Thanks, Google. And I read this. And so uh, the five C's, like I said, when we walk through connection, conversation, uh, which leads to consideration, which opens us up for a conviction, and then confession, those are the five C's, when we walk through this, uh, it, it's like this therapy for our whole being. It, it heals us and transforms us and changes us. And so I heard this, I read this quote today from Ray Ortland, Ray Ortland, um, and I just wanted to share it with you. So just listen closely. He said this, and this is an article about his pastoral journey, and he's worked in a lot of different denominations, and he's planted churches, and he's worked at established churches, and now he's uh, working with the Anglican Church um, to bring renewal and life. So this is, a, this is an older saint who's just got so much wisdom, and this is what he said, speaking about his time at the church he planted in Nashville, Tennessee. He said this, he said, quote, the best therapy I have ever experienced is simple. It's just being among Christian friends. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, who like me, who are like me and aren't trying to fix me. Adding up the brief greetings, the lengthy conversations, the songs sung, the discoveries shared, the laughter, the tears, all of it building up over 11 years. The cumulative effect was for me life transforming. It was how the category gospel culture came into clarity. I finally saw the theological truth of the gospel proves itself in the relational beauty of the gospel. Whenever the doctrine is allowed to exert its full and intended authority, faithfulness is more than sound biblical doctrine. It includes shared human beauty. And I just thought, wow, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what we want to be about. Uh, we want the truth of the gospel the doctrines of Scripture, to transform us and, and be lived out to create a gospel community that is really shared human beauty when we become everything God wants us to be. That's why we're doing the five C's. Because we sa- we've said in the last two weeks, if you miss a step or you don't go through the full process, it will stunt your growth. It will stunt transformation. You won't become the most beautiful human being that God's created you to be. And so Ray Ortland just saying that's his favorite part of life in this world, just coming around those who are being transformed by the gospel and this shared human beauty of exchanging life, and as we'll talk about today, conversation, and just reveling in it all. I hope you get that experience. I mean, it felt like that when you guys were having the four-minute, like, this is just an amazing opportunity to come around people who are who are, for the most part, maybe you're not quite there yet, that's okay, but most of us are surrendered to Jesus Christ. We realize we cannot save ourselves. We're not trying to earn our salvation. We're simply coming because of what God has done for us through Jesus, and we're coming together just to say thank you and enjoy him and to praise his name and to see what he's doing in the lives of one another. Like, that's, that 
It's just like honey for my soul. So hope it is for you as well. And I hope today is helpful. Um, I was just, I, I, one other quick thing about why this is so important and why we're doing it now. Like I feel like this pandemic, which is still ongoing and still painful in many ways, but I just feel like an eight, like 18 months of pressure has been applied uh, to, to my heart, and so I feel like I'm bruised. Do you feel like that? Like you just don't feel like you're 100%. You don't feel like you're quite yourself. You've been bruised, and um, about six months ago, I injured my toe, and I got a bruise on my toe, and um, I was looking at it this week. I don't just like stare at my toes like all the time, but I just noticed it because this bruise had been sort of stuck in the middle of my toe for like five months. And I was pretty sure I was just going to be one of those people with gnarly toes. Like I was just going to have like a lifelong bruise. But this week I noticed like, wait a minute, it's moved its way out. It's like on the edge. Like it's about to be gone. Like, and I was like, that's weird. And, and I thought this is a perfect example of how spiritual growth works. It's slow. I mean, we're going to experience bruises from this world, from our own sin, from habits that, that are just hard to share. Like, these bruises take a while, and when we work through the five C's of connection and conversation and consideration and conviction and confession about who God is and his greatness, like, like when we do this, what we'll, like one day we'll look down and we'll be like, oh my goodness, that bruise is almost out of the way. Like, I can't believe it. I thought I'd be there forever. I thought I'd never heal from that. I thought I'd never feel freedom from that. I thought I'd never be what I once was. And then all of a sudden, after just running this play over and over and over, like Ray Ortland says, coming to church week after week after week, coming to cohort, like just doing it. And it's like after a few years, you realize I'm not the same person I was. I'm not that ugly bruised toe that's a bit embarrassing. (laughs) Like, I'm a brand new toenail. And it's, oh my goodness, you know like a really good toenail? Like if you ever had like a really good grow out and you're like, that's a nice toenail. Like I'm not going to cut them right away because I want somebody to say, I'll wait for summer so I can wear the sandal, right? Because I mean, that's what you become, like you become something different. So <laughs> I just wanted to share those two things. That's why we're doing this series. Like this is, some, this is language that I hope we use in our cohorts, in our personal one-on-one conversations, in our personal life with God of like, I want to do the work, God. I want to go through all five of these C's over and over again so that I might experience that slow growth over the years and become something I am not right now. It's going to take a while. But I'm, I'm, I'm faithful, God. I'm, I'm patient. I know that when you do this, things change. When, when you work in my life, Change happens. I know. I've seen it. I've seen it in people. Man, I've seen it in people. They change. Not the same. They got to do the work. Slowly doing the work of what we call the five C's. So this week we're talking about conversation. Last week we talked about connection. Embodied connection. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to be near to us. God wanted to be near to us. But mere connection wasn't the end. He wanted to have a conversation with us. And he did that, and he continues to do that. And so, he, just like we sang, like, because he's a God of conversation, so will I. I will be a missionary through conversation. I will be step into conversation. I will grow in my ability to converse. I'll grow in my ability to listen, all the things needed for really good exchange, because conversation is important. God wants to connect with us, but he also wants to talk to us. So what is conversation? We'll be looking at that today. Like, what exactly are we talking about here? 
Uh, one of our principles at Sedaris is uh, kiss cocktail conversations goodbye. So, so that sort of like, how's the weather? How's you, how are you doing? What did the, and you like spend like 20 minutes like talking about nothing. That's not what we're talking about here. Real conversation, at least how I'm using the word, is when there's an exchange of heart between two beings. An exchange of heart. In a little bit, we'll talk about what the heart is, but you kind of know what I mean. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm exchanging heart. I'm learning about somebody else's heart, and they're learning about my heart, and there's an exchange. Two personal selves, autonomous, volitional, rational beings are exchanging something of profound goodness and truth. Like, that's what, I mean, con- like, when you have a good conversation, you feel like you've exchanged something of ultimate value, right? That's what I'm talking about. Not cocktail conversation, not small talk, not how's the weather, not did you watch the game last night. There's a place for that and time for that, but primarily we want to be people that move past that and really exchange with one another because God really exchanges with us. Um, Another way you could talk about this, I'll be talking about it throughout the sermon, is it's a translation, conversation is a translation of ourself into rational words. So it's like, I'm so many things, right? And it's like, you know you're complex, and, and there's so much to you more than just your stat sheet or your resume. Like, you are complex, and when you have a conversation with somebody, you are translating yourself in rational words so that you may be known. And when you're listening in a conversation, you're listening so that you might know through the exchange or the translation of someone's rational words to you about who they are and what they love, etc. You say, like, oh, we talk about conversation a lot here. Yes. <laughs> Is it really that important? Is it? I don't know. I can learn a lot just, you know, Googling things, reading things online. Sure. So how important is conversation really? I'm going to try to show you that you literally cannot have anything else without it. It's a bold, that's bold, Dave. That's right. <laughs> you can't have anything else without conversation. But let's go. I'm going to try to show you why that is. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Uh, if you don't, there's some in the seat backs in front of you, and just right in front of you, a little black Bible. We're going to be in the very like we were last week, very first verses of the Bible. So Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at verses uh, 1, 2, and 3. Um, if, you've, if you don't have a Bible, um, that's okay. You can Google it, or we'll, we'll throw most of this stuff on the screen uh, for you. If you don't own a Bible, take one of these home with you. Take one of these home with you. So we're gonna, I'm going to be reading out of the CSB, the Com, uh, Christian Standard Bible, um, and so, as you're going there, first page, page one, if you're looking at the Black Bible, Genesis 1, 1 to 3 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything, is what this is saying. And then he says, now here's how it happened. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Look at this, verse 3. Then God said, not made, not crafted, he spoke, let there be light. And there was light, 
And it goes on to say it was good. And you'll see this refrain over and over again in the creation account. That God spoke creation into being. He began a conversation. He, he, he you know, and, and don't get too caught up in, okay, like this could have happened in so many ways. Like he could, like we're learning more about the language even in our own DNA, right? And the language of logic and, and cause and effect and the causality of the, like he spoke it, he spoke his, his, from his being, he shared his heart and created. It's the first ever conversation. So if God never spoke and had conversation, which, which developed into the world we know, we literally would not be here. So God said, let there be light. He picked a lot of words, but this is what God is saying. This is how I spoke creation into existence. What is he doing? He's transferring or translating his own eternal glory and essence into physical creation. So God is not physical. He's immaterial. But when he speaks, he's speaking it into physical form. So we just, we just sang that, right? And you speak. And a billion creatures catch their breath. He's speaking himself. He's translating himself through conversation into the world. And so to this day, we can know a lot about God by engaging in that conversation, by studying creation, by learning the way it's interconnected, the way it works, by understanding even our own DNA and the language of it. This is what uh, theologians have called general revelation, meaning this is a conversation that everyone is privy to. Anyone can go on a hike, go outside, look around, and begin to have a conversation with God because he spoke all of this into existence. Isn't that wonderful? This is what we call general revelation, meaning when I have a conversation, I'm revealing myself. So God has revealed himself to us through all that is made because he, he, he spoke it into existence, okay? So that's general revelation. General, you might call conversation. Everyone has access to that. Um, so you can flip there with me if you want. Hebrews 1.1. That's in the New Testament. So this is after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There was uh, many letters and things written. So Hebrews is one of those. And this is, if you've got the Black Bible, this is going to be on page. What do we got here? This is page 1061. 1061. We'll throw up on the screen as well for you. It's just one verse. And it says this. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. What is he talking about here? He's saying, so there's something, there's another conversation, another type of revelation beyond even the physical world and creation that God actually spoke specific words to our forefathers. And here he's talking, what's well, called the book of Hebrews, he's talking about the, the people of Israel who God entrusted with these, this conversation so that they might share this conversation with the world. And that is what we have in the Old Testament, or the First Testament. God speaking through the prophets, these people that God specifically handpicks and says, I'm going I'm to write some conversation through you so that the world can engage in it. So God spoke, just like he spoke at creation, he spoke through the prophets 
filling them with that same spirit that you heard that hovered over the waters. God now spoke through the prophets by, by hovering that spirit over those prophets so that they might speak true and right words about who God is and what he's done and what he's doing. So again, transfer or translation of God's desire, his heart, his character, his intentions through words, rational words, written and spoken by these prophets of the Old Testament so that we might join the conversation. Now the same thing then happens with the New Testament writers. They're like the prophets who are filled with the Spirit of God, set aside, called, given special knowledge that they might speak special words so that all can join the conversation about who Jesus is. So the prophets of the Old Testament, the prophets of the New Testament, speak the words of God. This is called special revelation. Special revelation. Now, we can know a lot about God through general revelation, but we can even know more about God through special revelation. Now just imagine for a moment that general revelation, God speaking through creation, and special revelation, God speaking through the prophets, were able to come together to the second degree. Imagine what kind of revelation that would be, right? If these two could come together, that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what happened in the person of Jesus. That's what the Bible tells us. That God birthed himself into creation and spoke his words through the God-man Jesus of Nazareth, who was fully man, but also fully God. And like the prophets, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and therefore literally spoke face-to-face with his people. God spoke face-to-face with his people in Jesus you got general and special, what they came together. The Bible says they did. Once and only once in the person of Jesus. And that's why I call this the ultimate revelation. The ultimate revelation. So now, if conversation is the real exchange between beings of their self, God is a being, a personal being who has, he is in three persons, one being in three persons, if he's exchanging information, his heart with the rest of creation through Jesus Christ, this would be ultimate and the truest of revelation, right? If it's true, it's going to be the, the most uh, true revelation of, of, of everything. And it is. So as I said, general revelation in creation, that could be called the, a general conversation with God. And like Romans 1.1 tells us that everyone that's ever existed has had this conversation with God. They've had a general conversation with him when they engage in the physical world. They know things about God. They can see the power that's pregnant in the world. They can see the rationality. the log- They can see it. So they're having a conversation with God, whether they know it or not. Now, some people have learned of these special words in the scriptures. They've had this special revelation through the Old and New Testament. So they've, had to have, they've got to have a special conversation with God. And then others have had the ultimate revelation in Jesus, revealed to them. They realize Jesus is God in the flesh, speaking 
And so they get to have an ultimate conversation with God. Now, what should we want? We should want people to move from general conversation to special conversation and finally to ultimate conversation where they're speaking to God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. That should be the desire of our heart. If we've had that experience. If you haven't had that experience, we'll talk a little bit about how you could tap into that. And there's no more... um, There's no more ultimate conversation that we have recorded for us in Scripture. None more famous than a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. It's the most famous conversation, I believe, of all time. Guess what verse falls inside this conversation? You might not have known this. It's the one that football players write on their cheeks. John 3.16. It's literally the most famous conversation in the history of the world. But it's a conversation between Nicodemus, who himself was a very religious man. He was a leader of a group called the Pharisees. He had a lot of political power and, spirit, and, and sort of religious power in Jerusalem. So he had special revelation. He knew the Old Testament like you wouldn't believe. He probably had it, most of it memorized. Could you believe that? He had this conversation of the Old Testament memorized. So he had that. He understood that God was in everything created. He'd had that. You know what he'd never had? The ultimate conversation. And in John chapter 3, we have it recorded for us. Or at least part of it. At least part of it. I bet bet it was much longer than what we have. But we have the part we need to know recorded for us. So let's turn there. John chapter 3, the gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, learned from Jesus, both before and after his death and resurrection. So John chapter 3, if you're in the Black Bibles with me, it is uh, 943. Page 943. And I just, I just literally want to read this conversation. It's the most famous conversation in all the world. So if you want to learn about what a great conversation looks like, we should probably just study this one. So let's look at it together. Up to this point, Nicodemus thought he knew a lot about who God was and what God's intentions were and his character and had, had experienced salvation. He thought he knew. I mean, he, he was a very righteous man. He wasn't lazy. He knew his scriptures. And then he met Jesus. Let's see what happened. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees, that's a group of religious people, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that came to Jesus, at night. <laughs> Why? He's a little embarrassed be needing some wisdom from this carpenter. They came to him at night and he said, quote, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. So we know there's something special about you. For no one could perform the signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus had performed many miracles that were hard to deny. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, Nicodemus, unless someone is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can somebody be born again when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? You see the exchange, the conversation, the the genuine curiosity? I'm not sure what you're saying. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Whatever is born of the Spirit is uh, spirit. Do not be amazed that I have told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. At which point Jesus is going, (laughs) he's like, hello, you know, he's he's trying, he's just like, he's so kind, he's gentle with him. Just as Moses lift, Jesus continues, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, you got to know the Old Testament to know what he's talking about here, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Here's John 3.16. Then Jesus said, for God loved the world, in this translation there's no so, I like to add this up, God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Just like that serpent in the wilderness, Jesus says, if the story is that Moses, everyone, there was like a rampant snake problem, and people were getting bit and were dying, and Moses put a snake on a stick and held it up, and everyone that looked on it was saved. Jesus is saying, I'm like that. You've got to just look to me. Trust in me. might not totally make sense, but you will have not just life, now, but eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to contemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned, because he has not believed in the name of the one and the only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his work may be shown to be accomplished by God. Look at the next verse. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where they spent their time baptizing people. Well, what happens? (laughs) Like, we have this great conversation. And like I said, it's probably much longer than this. And this is the part that, that we have preserved for us. God's perfect wisdom is he gives us this part. Chances are it's much longer. But what happens to Nicodemus? The answer is nothing at this point. All they've had is they've connected. Nicodemus went and he found Jesus. He connected with him, right? You see that? And then what they do? They had a conversation. Nicodemus was really listening. And Jesus was really listening to Nicodemus' questions. And they were exchanging both themselves and ideas, rational words, ideas, thoughts uh, about this matter of eternal life. But we don't know what happened next. We don't know. We've got through two C's. So what happens to Nicodemus? What happens? Did he decide eventually? Did he? Seems like he was really considering, which was stepping out of the center and really thinking about what Jesus was saying. He left considering all the words that Jesus had, had said. But did he ever experience conviction that they were actually true, that Jesus was the Son of God, that everyone that does believe in him is saved? Did he experience that conviction? Did he ever confess it out loud and tell the world that he believes that Jesus is the Messiah that they've been waiting for, that the Old Testament's talked about? 
that he is the son of, like, we don't know. But I want to know, <laughs> like, like, what happened to Nicodemus? Was this just a great conversation that, that is, is washed away in the history of the world? Mm, probably not. There are conversations you'll have that, that was a great conversation, it never leads to the other three C's. I don't think that's this conversation. Part of the reason I don't think it is, it's in the Bible. God said, let's record that because something profound happened after that. So we could have, uh, how do we answer this? Um, I'll just try real quickly. So we have all this very private information about this private conversation that happened with Jesus and Nicodemus. So we have to ask, like, how do we know this stuff? There's three possible answers. Jesus told John all about this, and so John knew about it, and he could write about it. The Holy Spirit revealed it supernaturally to John. We know John's the one who wrote the book of Revelation, so the Holy Spirit can do that. Just give insight to the apostles so that they know things that they wouldn't otherwise have known because God wants them recorded in his public conversation. Or the third is that Nicodemus himself became a part of this traveling band and told John about this conversation. Which means that he did consider all that Jesus said in the conversation. He experienced conviction. It's true. And his heart leapt and he was excited and he started telling people about it. You wouldn't believe it. First time I had a conversation with Jesus, this is what he said. He joins the Jesus movement. I think there's a little bit of evidence for option C. The first is that we know Nicodemus' name. You know there's only three Pharisees whose name we know about in the New Testament? Only three, and and if you know the Gospels, Jesus, he spoke to a lot of Pharisees, which means a lot probably never considered what he was saying and what he was doing. Never felt conviction, never confessed. But we have three names. The first, you may have heard of him, the Apostle Paul, whose name was formerly Saul. We know about him. He ended up writing half of the New Testament. So he experienced connection, conversation, consideration, conviction, and confession. We know about him. The other we know about is a guy named Gamaliel. Who's that? That was Paul's teacher. Why do we know his name? It's sort of like street cred. Like they, we, we know Gamaliel because Paul studied under him. It's like saying, hey, Paul went to Harvard. You can trust he knew the Old Testament. You can trust he wasn't like, you know, some of these other fishermen. Like Paul gives you that balance of he's one of the intellectuals. He's stunned under this great teacher. So we got to say his name. The third is Nicodemus. So who's Nicodemus more like? Well, he's more like Paul. I think there's pretty good evidence. Probably Nicodemus did become part of the group of disciples. What other evidence do we have? Well, there's two other references to Nicodemus in the Gospel of John. The first is in chapter 7. We won't turn there. But basically, when Jesus is arrested, it's Nicodemus who goes to his buddies in the ruling council and says, Listen, everyone deserves a fair trial. Jesus deserves a fair trial. and convinces them to give Jesus a trial. Now, it wasn't fair, but he got a trial. But Nicodemus is sort of fighting for Jesus, isn't he? Now, there's another in uh, John chapter 19. I'll just read that to you real quick. John 19, 38 to 42. So this is after Jesus' trial. He's been hung. He's been convicted. He's hung on a Roman cross. Many of the other disciples have fled for fear of their own life, a bit cowardly. But there's a couple people there who are part of the ruling class, religious leaders of the day. Let's read this. John 19, verse 38 says this. After this, that's after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, 
who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body from the cross. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, just, John's like, place you're a slow reader. Like, that's the same Nicodemus, like, just from a few chapters ago. And I am a slow reader, by the way. He also came. He also came. He also came. Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, and Nicodemus also came. It doesn't say Nicodemus was also a disciple, but it says he also came, bringing a mixture of about 50 or 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body, wrapped it in linen cloths with fragrant spices. According to the burial, burial customs of the Jews, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A tomb was in the garden, and no one had yet a tomb in the garden. No one had yet been buried in that tomb, so they placed Jesus in it. They placed him there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. So here you have Nicodemus sweetly wrapping the body of Jesus. But this disciple of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who's also part of the religious ruling class of the day, he also came. Seems to me there's pretty good evidence. He also, maybe still secretly at this point, was a follower of Jesus, trusting in Jesus for eternal life. That he considered the conversation that they'd had. Maybe he had, other, had had other conversations, probably, I'd guess. And he'd come to the realization that Jesus was not just a normal man, but the God-man, the Son of God. Why is that important for me to go down and think about that? Well, there actually been a lot of controversy about who Nicodemus was. Was he just somebody that wasted a great conversation with Jesus? Some people think so. I don't think so. I think here's a changed man whose life would never be the same, whose name is on our lips because he's on the lips of Jesus. He's written in Jesus' book of life because of this conversation that he had. Yes, he had to have it in the middle of the night at a weird time, in a weird way, but he had it. He connected with Jesus. He talked to him. He considered what he had to say. And it changed his life. And it's changing our life. Not just now, but for eternity. Um, in the show notes on YouTube, if you want to go there, if you're in the room or if you're watching online, there's a link to um, a rendition or a reenactment of what this conversation might have been like between Jesus and Nicodemus from the show The Chosen. And I just highly recommend just watching that just brings it to life just what this might have been like um, so you can find that link online it's just two men sharing a conversation what happens next is truly unbelievable so it begs the question um, what happens uniquely in the second sea of conversation that's different from the first sea of connection and the third sea of considering. So like, maybe we could just skip over it or maybe we could just kind of do this conversation uh, thing in part or not fully. Like, what is it? Like, what? I want to I get the heart of this. I think this is important. And we may be getting in a little bit into the weeds here, uh, so just stick with me. Some of you might like this, some of you 
The philosophical types might really like this. Others might say, you could have just skipped that. Well, we got both types in our church, so I'm going, I'm going philosophical here. Okay. Now, definitely remember this when we teach all the five C's. These are overlapping. There's not like hard and fast. Now we've moved into consideration. That can happen while you're having a conversation. Okay? It can, it, and it can happen in between connections. So it's not as cut and dry. They're overlapping circles. Um, but I will argue that you cannot have consideration without some form of conversation. Without some real exchange of rational words, there cannot be consideration. Because it's the conversation that gives you the content to consider. So Ryan will talk about this next week. Like Considering is stepping out of the center of your epistemological or knowledge world and saying, is that true? But you have to have the is <laughs> to be able to define what that, is, what that is is in order to consider it. So you need conversation in whatever form that comes, whether it's through reading God's word, whether it's through talking to a friend, whether it's hearing a sermon, um, whatever gives you the rational words to consider, you need it. So you can't just skip the conversation. However short or however long, this takes, you need conversation. So now, if you were to read uh, Mark 12, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read it for you. Mark 12, 28 to 30, um, Jesus is going to tell us something about what's the most important thing you can do to love God. And just a side note here, this is coming in a conversation he's having with a scribe, another very religious person who knew the Old Testament in and out. And so this scribe now will consider these words that I'm about to read to you. And if you keep reading in the story, it actually seems like he ends up um, feeling conviction about the way Jesus answers this and gives sort of a very rudimentary confession. Because at the end of the story, he says, you're right. That's what conviction and confession are. You're right, Jesus. But he doesn't call him Lord. He calls him teacher. He says, you're right, teacher. And Jesus says to him, well, you're not far from the kingdom of God. I want to bring this up. I just wanted you to see this. He's experiencing a type of conviction and confession, but Jesus says, you're not quite there. That's okay. We celebrate that. You might be here and you might not be all the way there, but you see there's some truth in what this Jesus is all about, what he said, what he's done, but you're not quite there. You're still calling him teacher or good man or even just a prophet. You're not quite all the way to Lord or Savior. That's okay. Jesus says, keep on going. He tells the scribe, you've done the five C's, now circle back. Do them again. That might be where you're at. That's okay. Just enjoy the process. But keep connecting. Keep conversing. Keep considering. And you'll find more and more conviction. He's not just the teacher. He's something more. Jesus says, you're not far. Keep coming. Don't slow down now. Keep going. And what is the thing that Jesus tells the scribe? When you ask him a question. So this is Mark. Uh, I'm going to just read it from the screen. Mark 12 says this. One of the scribes approached Jesus. And when he had heard them debating. He saw that Jesus answered them well. And he asked him. He asked Jesus. Which command is the most important of all? Now, I think he's truly genuine. He's not trying to trap Jesus. Jesus answered. The most important is. Listen O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, this is important, with what? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, 
and with all your strength. And then he'll go on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself is the second most important. Why? You know, is he just being articulate, the heart, the soul, the mind, the strength? No, he's, one, quoting Old Testament, but he's, two, highlighting there's all these ways to love God. You've got to, you've got to engage your whole being. And, and in the Hebrew mind, and, and we should have that in our mind as well, the being is, is multiple things. And so I'm going to actually tell you in reverse order, I'm going to go through this reverse order, starting with strength and ending with heart. I'm going to show you how these connect to the five C's. So, so what does it mean to love God with all your strength? Well, the, he, the, the Greek word here for strength has everything to do with physicality. So here's what I see this. This is like connection. Like put yourself, put like work at it. Put your body into the places and the spaces you need to to experience and to love God. So love him with all your strength. What about love him with all your mind? This is really, um, the word here is all about rationality. The word here for mind. So love God with all your rationality. Uh, the word means the seat of the faculty of reason. That's the Greek word that's used here. So love God with the seat of the faculty of reason that you've been given by God. Love him with that. What is that? That's actually conversation. Conversation. I'll come back to that in a sec. And then he says, love God with all your soul. Ryan will talk about this next week. What is the soul? The soul is your essential nature, essentiality. It's the immaterial part of the person. That's what the Greek word means. It's like, it's like your life source. It's that eternal breath of life that God breathed into you. It's your personality. That's, that's what soul means. So love God with all that part. That's, that's actually the part of you, the eternal part of you. And that's what? Consideration. That's really what consideration is about. How do I engage the question of who is Jesus with my soul and love him with my soul? And then finally he says, love him with all your heart. This is the, uh, the Greek word here is the internal seat of your will, emotions, conscience. It's the source of of all your inner life. It's like the center of a person. Love God with your heart. I really see this related to that. That's when conviction happens. When you surrender the center, the seat of who you are, your will, you give it to God. Do you see the process? Love him, putting your, your, yourself, your body in spaces that allows you to enter conversations, rationally engage your mind with the content of who God is as he's spoken to us through creation and special revelation and in the person of Jesus. And it, you consider it. Not just like, is... Uh, so the mind would be like, what is the claims of Jesus? And then consideration is, now is it true? Conversation is, could this be true? Or what, what are we thinking about? What are we talking about here? And then consideration is, but is it true? Those are two separate things. And again, they mix together, but you got to go through both of them. You can't just have the right content, which you get through great conversation. You eventually need to move to consideration. But is it true? What does it mean that it's true? And this can happen, again, on the big thing about who Jesus is or in small things about how do I follow him well. So here's my point. Conversation is totally unique in the five C's. Because it engages the rational faculties of our human nature. 
It is the most mind-centric part of the five C's. Christians don't check their mind at the door. They bring it with them. God says, bring it with you. Because actually, that's what I am. I am that I am became flesh. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on to say, And the Word became flesh. That word, Word, is the Greek logos, which not only means just word or utterance, God spoke Jesus into the cosmos, spoke the Son into the cosmos. It also means rationality, reason, and logic. That's what the word logos means. So the word becoming flesh is the, the, the eternal logic, the eternal reason of the universe putting on human skin and becoming fully man. That's what John 1.1 tells us. So then it makes perfect sense that the Apostle Paul will later say in Romans chapter 12, and I think we have that one, throw it up. Romans chapter 12 says this, this is such an important verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies, see that connection language, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Then he says this, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. See, all that is packed in there. The re this renewing comes through in-depth, long-form, passionate, but humble conversation with both things that I read, things that I hear, one-on-one -on -one conversations, and particularly through the study and exploration of God's conversation to us all. And then, of course, through prayer. I, I just can't, I can't, you got to pray. You, you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus said, i got to get away and have a conversation with my Father. Got to talk to the Father. That's prayer, having a conversation with God. You need to have those conversations so that he can bring consideration and conviction into your life. But all those things, mind-on-mind -mind exchange, which happens in conversation, with these potentially true words and ideas and things that we've read, this is how our mind is renewed. This is how we love God with our mind. We're letting him fine-tune our way of thinking about the world. And it comes through conversation. It's not the end of the process, but it's so important. We can't, we can't just not cultivate the life of the mind. God created this. He is the logic. The logic became flesh. The logos. And so when we have conversation, it's literally like iron sharpening iron. <laughs> and we're shaving off the untrue parts of our thinking. So that we might come to the consideration with a clear mind. And know what to consider. Uh, that's what great conversation does. So... Conversation will help us tune our imperfect rationality toward the perfect rationality of the Logos, of God, who came in the flesh in the person of Jesus. That's why conversation is so important. Um, so when you're doing this, you're like, okay, I believe it, Dave. It's, it seems pretty important. <laughs> I'll do it. 
um, here's what's going to happen. If you have enough of it, if you engage in it and you're honest in it, it will clear out those irrational or naive parts of you and will clear those things out so it can set this stage for what truly needs to be considered by your soul. And so we want you to do this. Um, some of you have engaged in apologetics. Here's an example. Apologetics actually is not considering. This might be surprising to you. It actually falls in, in a conversation, meaning uh, no one ever comes to conviction through apologetics. Apologetics is like the study of making a defense for God, a logical defense for God. Like, is there a God? There's all these sorts of great arguments that sort of hold up in the world of philosophy about there being a God or about the resurrection. Like, is it true? There's, there's really good evidence that it's true. So we're having a conversation about these things. Again, it's clearing the minefield to say, oh, that's so irrational. It's not. Like, you have a conversation through apologetics, you realize it's not ra- irrational at all to believe in a God or to believe in a resurrection. There's really good historical evidence for it. Like, scholars would say, even if they're not a Christian, that they believe in the resurrection. Well, how can they do that? They're having a conversation about it, and the conversation says it's rational. It makes more sense than it <laughs> makes that it didn't happen. They're not convicted that that's because Jesus is who he said he was. They just think something happened here. Okay, but that's apologetics. That's having a conversation. It just clears the ground for us to really ask the question, but is it true? Is Jesus the way, the truth, and the life? Can I only come to the Father through him? Are my sins only forgiven by the blood of Jesus? All these things, okay? We need to do that. We need to clear the ground. And, and so if we do that, and we agree, I want to do this, how do I do it? So let me just, to end, give you a few quick advice about how to do this well. The first is this. Go to the show notes <laughs> and click on a TED Talk that, that we found about how to have conversations. Seven tips to have conversations. It's great. 20 million people have watched this. 20 billion people will never watch <laughs> this sermon. It's a sad day, but that's okay. It's a really good, good tips. So there's lots of common wisdom about how to be a good conversationalist. I'm not going to waste your time with that. You can go find that anywhere. You probably get that if you're in sales. You get that in your sales training. You know, this is things like make eye contact, have curiosity, ask good questions, find common ground, you know, give compliments, be an active listener, and really listen. Like, these, these are great tips. You know that. Here's... Here's what I'll add to that. This is what the TED Talks will never teach you. It will never, never teach you. I'm getting passionate now because TED Talks make me mad. 20 million views, come on. Here's what TED Talks will never tell you. Because what is a TED Talk? Here's what a TED Talk will never teach you. You cannot have a great conversation in 15 minutes. You cannot. You will not. TED's lying to you. (laughs) TED's giving you some tips, but he's not being honest. Those are not great conversations. You can't do it in 15 minutes. Be willing to waste time with people. Be willing. That's what Jesus did. Jesus wasted so much time with people whose names we don't have because nothing ever changed in their life, even though they walked and talked with God in the flesh. Can you believe this? He just wasted it. He says, that's okay. Some won't. Nicodemus did it. You've got to be willing to waste time with people if you want to live this kind of great conversational life. 
Other cultures do this so much better than Americans. I remember um, a president of my seminary who also was teaching a missions class that I was uh, doing an online course with, and he tells a story. His name is Dr. Mark Young. He was a missions professor. He said he was, doing, he was a missionary in Eastern Europe, and he had a dinner meeting with somebody, and, and they were really excited to meet with him. It was at 5 p.m., and the guy doesn't show up till 7 p.m., two hours later. And this is a new missionary, and he, he, he was so baffled. And the guy walked in like it was no big deal. He's like, hey, so glad to be here. And Dr. Young was like, wait, what? <laughs> like you're two hours late. He's just like, what happened? He's like, oh, somebody showed up at my house and needed to talk. So I gave him two hours. Like, we've, like, we're broken. Like, there's something wrong in us. Look around at the world. They don't have the same problems we do. They're okay if somebody needs to talk, to talk. When you engage in this kind of time-wasting, spinning your wheels, where are we really going? Here's what happens. You heard, have you heard the old, have you heard the, the <laughs> you might remember it's from the movie uh, Catch Me If You Can. You remember that movie? Catch me if you can, Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yes, Leo, so beautiful. Okay, so Frank William Abagnale is uh, who he goes by in the movie. He has this great, he says, There were two mice. Mice fell into a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. But the second mouse, he struggled so hard that he eventually turned that cream into butter and he walked out. Amen. This is great conversation. This is what it does. It's just spinning your wheels. You're going, you're going. You're not sure what you're accomplishing. And eventually the truth or the thing that needs to be considered rises to the top. But it takes some churning, people. You can't, you know, you just can't say, we're going to do this in 15 minutes and we'll figure out this problem. You can't do it. Conversation is a willingness to sacrifice and waste time with people so that the truth can rise to the top, the thing that really needs to be wrestled with, the truth that you're struggling, the identity that you can't quite reach, you need to just churn it out. That's conversation. <laughs> Those of you who have had meetings with me know how passionate I am about this. Always plan for two hours with me. Don't put it in your calendar like one hour, like it's not gonna happen. We're gonna churn. And by the end, usually we figure out, oh, that's what we need to talk about. That's what needs to be considered. Is this really who God says I am? Is this really what God, you know, whatever it is. Second thing, last thing. Great conversations, as, as we see with Nicodemus, as we see with my story of Dr. Mark Young, they often come out of nowhere. They surprise us. It's often not even the ones we plan. They just sort of spring upon us. So you can't always be ready. You've got to be willing to be blindsided. I remember, I have a story, I'm flying to a bachelor party in Nashville, Tennessee, when I was only 25 years old. So it's like, I'm not in the frame of mind to have a deep spiritual conversation, but God placed me next to a woman that clearly needed to have a conversation. And we talked. She was deep in the New Age movement. She was lost. She, she didn't know who she was. She was so confused. And so I talked to her. I, didn't, I was preparing for my bachelor, not my bachelor party, my friend's bachelor party, even better. I just get to go to Nashville, listen to some music. And God sprung a great conversation. I ended up, after exchanging emails with this person, talking about considering aloud with her the things we had talked about in our conversation on the plane. They blindside you. So you have to be ready at all times. You got to be flexible. You got to let the conversation go where it needs to go. So here, if you're married, or you're thinking about getting married, Here's what you need to do. 
You need to marry a grace-filled spouse. You want to live this kind of life? Sometimes you're not going to show up on time for dinner, for a party. You're just not. I know what everyone that knows me is thinking. Allie is a saint. That's my wife. Yes, but I can just tell you, more, not more times than with me, but enough times I've been the grace-filled spouse. Just the other day, Allie's going to dinner. I think it'll take about an hour. I've got the boys. That'll be fine. She'll be back. It'll be great. Three and a half hours later, she shows up. You know what I said? How was the conversation? She said it was great. She said, praise God. God, these are the kind of people you want to surround yourself with. People filled with grace so that when these conversations come, you don't feel like, I'm going to get roasted. You say, God's got me here. It's the middle of the night. It's at the end of a shift. You don't know. But you have a dedication knowing that through conversation comes consideration, which comes conviction and confessions that leads to life change, just like Nicodemus experienced. Will you be that kind of person? Will you? Will you? Will you? You don't know when Nicodemus is going to show up at your door, at your cubicle. People still have cubicles? They did when I worked. (laughs) Okay. You just don't know. You might have a Nicodemus. Talk to him. Listen to him. Ask him good questions. Tell him about Jesus. Jesus. 